<laughs> Almost looks like a soap opera on television. It's filled with war, blood, murder, sex, lies, and political intrigue. Sounds like today. What's going on? It'd make a popular movie. Um, there have been a few movies made about David. There was one, was it David and Bathsheba starring the great Gregory Peck? Not particularly accurate. Then there was one in the, 90, in the 80s starring uh, Richard Gere, and it was not at all accurate. I don't even know why I went to see it. And I still remember the last scene when old David is in his bed about to die and he calls his son and he says, never trust the prophets. We need to get the truth about David from the Bible, not movies and rumors. So as is my custom, I'll go through the narrative and then give us three lessons. So obviously we won't read it all because we're going to cover chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. Saul had died. And David's men had made him king. He had been anointed years earlier, but he had not been inaugurated, kind of like being elected, but hadn't been installed yet. And so uh, David is very generous. He rewards Saul's men that had buried Saul. Remember, Saul died in, in battle. So we introduce to you a man named Abner, who was... Saul's right-hand man, remember I said that there'd be the king, but then underneath him would be the commander of the armies. And so Saul's commander-in-chief, or whatever, was Abner, tough, ruthless. And so he doesn't want to recognize David. Um, Saul had not recognized David. And so he gets behind a man named Ishbosheth and said, you know, let's hear it for Ishbosheth. He will be king, not David. David's been on the run, he, you know, and thus and so. I introduced to you Joab, who was David's right-hand man, and the equal of Abner. They were tough guys, ruthless, power-hungry, but um, Abner never overthrew Saul, and Joab could never overthrow David. But um, they were not trustworthy men, but they were in high places. So the narrative says that Abner and Joab meet beside this pool and decide um, how to resolve this conflict with a match. Because um, they said, well, you get your 12 mighty men, we'll get our 12, and they'll duke it out. Kind of like Goliath's challenge. Why should we all die? Uh, you send your best man, I'll be the best man, and, and so forth. Kind of like a gladiator match. But it's strange in God's providence, all 12 of each side killed all 12 on the other side. That can happen. You know, that happened in boxing once where two guys boxing, they hit each other at the same time and they both went down knocked out. Pretty rare. But here they wonder, well, what do we do? So the armies then took back to fighting and Joab's men defeat Abner's men, at least for the time being. And Abner runs away. And he's chased by Joab's youngest brother, Asahel, who was a fast runner. Back then, they didn't have the Olympics, but they would have, you know, races. Who can throw a javelin the furthest and things like that. And uh, back then, since they didn't have telephone and stuff, they would have runners to deliver a message. So evidently, Asahel was a runner, very fast. So when Abner is running because he realized, uh-oh, we're going to lose... Uh, Asahel takes out after him. 
But he's close enough and he's gaining on him. And so Abner says, no, turn around. Don't go. If you come to me, I'm going to kill you. And he meant it. And he was a tough guy. But Asael kept chasing after him with a sword in his hand. And Abner had a spear in his hand. And so um, they're, they're, they're running away. And Abner then has to kill him. And the idea is that, you know, stay away. And here comes Asahel. And uh, Abner was a very clever soldier. So he turns his spear. And it's something like he turns it real quickly, sticks it in the ground. And the force of Asahel runs right into it. And Abner says, I told you. And so Asahel dies. And that was Joab's youngest brother. And Joab never forgot that and never forgave him. So um, back at the palace, um, Abner is the power behind the throne um, of Ishbosheth, and he makes his move, and it says he sleeps with one of Saul's former mistresses. And um, again, this is he was, he was rugged, not godly, he was immoral. And Ishbosheth finds out, and he realizes you're up to something, uh, and he doesn't trust him, so he rebukes him. But uh, Abner is infuriated. You're going to talk to me like that? If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be king. And so he's infuriated. And we're told that Ishbosheth was afraid of him. But he didn't say, get 10 men in here and execute them or you're exiled. He was afraid of him. And then Abner now sees the handwriting on the wall. Uh-oh, I've turned on Ishbosheth. He is the one we tried to make king. So he did what politicians do. He switched sides. He defected from Ishbosheth. And went over to David. So David welcomes him at a banquet. And they make a covenant. He didn't hold it against him. Just like David didn't hold it against Saul for chasing him. But Joab's not at the banquet. Maybe he had heard. I'm not going to be there if Abner's there. But, uh, but he does come in later and finds him there. And he fears, uh-oh, Abner is not only switching sides. He's making a power play. He wants my position. And he says, what if David wants him instead of me? And so now he's got two reasons to oppose Abner. So he goes to David and he says that uh, Abner's setting a trap for him, that is for David. So Joab then has Abner captured. And it's, this is very sly, I'd say greasy. He says, well, send for Dab Abner and um, We'll, we'll talk it out, men to men. You know, you're, you're a tough man and you're high. I'm, we'll, 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 we'll cut a deal or something. And so he says, come here, you know, Abner. Hey, shalom. And while they're about to hug, he reaches and pulls out his sword. This is for Asahel, my brother, that you killed. Killed him right there, heart to heart. And then Abner dies. Well, David hears about this, and then when they have the funeral for Abner, he shows up and he grieves and he weeps and he praises him. And it was, it was, it was real, it wasn't put on. And he also realized, by doing this, I'm going to convince people I did not have a hand in the murder of Abner. And the people see, you're weeping for him and you're honoring him. Yes, David, you're, you're not guilty of this. That was a, a good move. Speaks well of David like this. Meanwhile, back at Ishbosheth's palace, some men back there also see their causes losing, so they're like rats jumping off of a sinking ship. And two of them sneak in, 
and they assassinate Ishbosheth in his own bed. They kill him. And here's where it gets grisly. They cut off his head and take it to David and expect a reward. David, your enemies are dead. Abner's dead and even Ishbosheth. Can you just see him smiling like, got a reward for us? You, hmm? They got a reward coming, cold steel. And so David reminds them of how he dealt with the man that killed Saul, or at least claimed to kill Saul, that expected a uh, reward. And so he has these two men executed. And very soon the leaders of all the clans of Israel gather together, and now with one accord they recognize David as king. They install him. All David's um, challengers are gone. It's unanimous. Episode ends later in that chapter. Remember, we're just doing a very brief overview of these chapters. The Philistines try one last attack and they fail. And Hiram, king of Syria, up north sides with David. So now David is the indisputed king of Israel. Uh, and at age 30, he will be king for the next 40 years. And there will be relative peace. There will be some other skirmishes later. But this was a high point in David's life. David now is King David. Let's concentrate on these lessons. Number one, beware of men like Joab and Abner. They were counterparts of each other. They were top soldiers, the two best in Israel except for David. I would remind you, everybody remembered when David went out against Goliath, everybody else was scared. Even Joab and Abner said, I'm not going out against that man that's what, nine or ten feet tall. So they always remember David was the bravest of the brave. But uh, Joab and Abner were what we would call thugs, ruthless, little or no conscience, power hungry, kind of like their motto is might makes right. Um, I remember I saw in a documentary about some of the high-ranking Nazis, and one of them, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Goering, he says, whenever I hear them talk about culture, I reach for my revolver. Well, that's what these guys were like. I imagine they said, David singing on that silly harp, whenever I hear that, I grab my sword. Well, you can see the big difference between them and David. Uh, Ishbosheth was afraid of Abner, but he was a, a weakling being used by powerful Abner. And Ishbosheth was nothing like David, he was weak and so forth. Back at David, though, he had ambivalent feelings about Joab. He wasn't afraid of him, but he was cautious. Or what they'd say in Scotland, very canny, like keep an eye on that guy. Sleep with one eye open. He may kill me in my sleep. But David had guards that protected him because they said David is a righteous man. But it's interesting that men like this rose to the top, almost to the very top. Abner and Joab, not godly, ruthless. Um, that happens. Uh, I remember a cynical old proverb that said, um, the cream and the scum always rise to the top. And so you see the best and the worst in society and in the military and in other spheres like that. And so here's Joab, who, and David always kept an eye on him, kind of like a thorn in his side, like, I can't get rid of him. And I, he is useful. And, you know, sometimes that happens in the business world where a boss, a manager says, here's a guy, he really does a good job, but, you know, I really can't thoroughly trust him. And he's, like, mean to the other people, but I can't bring myself to fire him. 
But for some reason, David kept Joab uh, on his side. But then gradually he wishes that he could get rid of him. And in God's providence, that did happen. Joab did accomplish much good, but also much harm. Just like some people today. Hmm? I think that David was more afraid of Joab because he was complicit in the murder of That's right. And uh, he had heard about killing Asahel. Of course, Joab would have said, hey, people die in war. Don't blame me. But uh, he didn't trust Joab. And eventually, Joab would be executed, but not by David. Now, we looked at that a few weeks ago when Solomon became king. He said, my father had made an oath to protect Joab. My daddy's gone. Go after Joab. I don't want him around. And the soldiers went and Joab said, "Uh uh-oh. And he runs to the temple, grabs hold of the horns of the altar. You know, you can't kill me. You know, I, I claim sanctuary here. I'll die here. And they reported back to Solomon. You remember the interesting phrase? They said, uh, your majesty, he said, he'll die there. And Solomon says, give him what he wants. Go back with swords. You can't claim amnesty holding on to the altar. And they killed him. So there's Joab, you know, swords in him just slumping down and let's go of the altar. As I said, there are men like Joab and Abner with us today. Um, they accomplished good, often like sergeants in the army, foremen on road crews, goons that either the management or the unions hire, tough guys, troubleshooters, leg breakers, um, often in lower management that are tough to get things done, crack a whip. Um, anybody remember that famous um, troubleshooter in Nixon's White House and he became a Christian? Anybody remember? Chuck Colson. He was a tough former Marine, and the stories he told after he became a Christian, he says, I am ashamed to tell you what I was like before. Kind of like Joab and Abner. Kind of like also, if you remember, uh, another man that worked for Nixon, G. Gordon Liddy. He later became famous on the radio with a talk show, but he's kind of like these guys here, and, uh, you know, no conscience, tough. And... um, Sometimes their superiors are afraid of them, but they keep them on because they, well, they get the job done. It's got to be done, but that's not a wise policy. For example, what was it that instilled devotion in the Jews for David? It was not because he was like Joab and Abner, but because he was a man after God's own heart. He was righteous. He was brave. And uh, they said, he's the real deal. And so the people that followed him, his closest entourage, the men that hid out in that cave of Adullam with him, they said, he's our kind of man. They said, if we had to choose between him and Joab, there's no choice to be made. Well, it's like in politics, there's intrigue and backstabbing and ruthless, power-hungry people that are in it for the power, like Abner and Joab. But we don't need men like that. And we certainly don't need them as heroes or role models. You see, Unfortunately, sometimes little boys will read a story like this or see a movie and say, hey, I want to grow up to be like that. Hope you fathers will tell them, no, you don't want to be like that. I'll give you an illustration. You've heard me talk about my father. He was in middle management of of an oil company in Texas, and there were two vice presidents. The president was, you know, the San Francisco office. And one of them was kind of like Joab, tough, would fire a person for anything, And my dad used to talk about Mr. Teasel. Boy, could he be tough. Man's man. 
My dad kind of respected him and feared him, but my dad loved the other man, Mr. Schaefer, who would go and visit his employees in the hospital, send them flowers if they were mourning, and would say, you got a problem with your children? Come in and visit. We'll help work it out. We'll send you to the doctor and pay the bills. My dad loved that man, but he respected the other one, but said, I, I have to work for him. He's tough. He gets the job done, but I love the other that should happen with parents. Parents shouldn't be the one that cracks the whip and the children obey out of fear. If they're like that when they're kids, they're going to be like that when they grow up and they're going to want to crack the whip on their kids. They should look up to their fathers as being like David or like Mr. Schaefer that my father looked up. My father was more like Mr. Schaefer. He could be like Mr. Teasdale if he had to be, but that wasn't often. And so we don't need role models like this. And you see them in the movies. They're, you know, they, they're, they're macho and they get their way and they're profane. They swear and they drink. But uh, they're frequently glorified by unbelievers. I'll give you a couple of them. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you've all seen the t-shirts of Che Guevara. You know, a hero in the Hispanic community. Hey, Che, hey, arriba, arriba. He's a real man. He was a bloodthirsty murderer. He was a communist. They would capture enemies and torture them before he murdered them. You want that person to be on the T-shirt of your sons? Unfortunately, he's still being held up as a great role model. Hey, Che, we like him. No, he was a thug. Even worse, do you know there are even people today that are singing the praises of Charles Manson? Bonnie and Clyde held up his heroes. They were murderers and bank robbers. There are still Russians that remember the good old days of Joseph Stalin and even far-right neo-Nazis that say Hitler wasn't all bad. They look up at these heroes are we so decadent that we have to look to thugs and murderers as heroes? What's wrong with our society? And then there are thugs of a lesser sort, um, usually boys, but sometimes girls that are usually not very intelligent, but in school they learn how to bully other kids. These guys were bullies. Joab, Abner, tough. Some of us remember when we were young and a school bully would say, Give me your lunch money. I'm going to let you have it. There are guys like that. They're imitating Joab and Abner. Um, and then other places, they become connivers, manipulators, cheats, join gangs. They think that's the way you get ahead in life. But Jesus warned against Gentile power-hungry rulers. Remember, he had to sit his apostles down and said, look, the Gentiles lord it over their people. They're tough guys. They get their way by brute force. He says, but it will not be like that with you. And of course, Jesus was not a bully. He wasn't like these guys. He was more like David, or actually David was more like him. And so he strictly forbade that, and that would apply to pastors. Have you ever known a pastor that was unfortunately like Joab or Abner? Little dictator, big fish in a small pond. I knew one, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm more like David with the flock. And uh, he, said, he said, I get my way in this church. I am the boss here. I'm the king. And he said, if someone disputes me, I just tell them, it's my way or the highway, there's the door. What's your choice? And I'm thinking, Joab, Abner, 
not like David. Unfortunately, there are some pastors, and you can apply this to various other realms, parents, bosses, whatever. So we shouldn't uh, admire or imitate these kind of super macho guys. We tend to imitate those that we admire. Instead, we should imitate David. He kept himself unsullied. Look what he did. He mourned for Abner. He didn't want to have him executed. Uh, he, he He was very righteous in this. It wasn't perfect, but he was a much better example. And yet he kept himself from being sullied by the corruption of these two ungodly men. And yet, um, as I said, David was even tougher than them. I imagine there were times that Joab said, I can take David. You know, the guy I'm going to take, I can take him. But I imagine he'd look like that and David would look at him like, you think you can? You and who else? He didn't have to brag. He knew he could take Joab in a hand-to-hand combat he didn't show off. All he had to do is, if Joab said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight this out, last man standing becomes king, all David would have had to say, um, Goliath. Hmm. True courage is not this bravado, but being willing to do the right thing no matter what it costs. And we find David. David is an example of someone that was humble, honest, just, and noble. Is a word you don't hear much. He spoke well of Saul, who had tried to kill him. He spoke well of Abner after he died as well. Gives us an example. A leader needs integrity like this, and we should admire and imitate men like David. Okay, there's our first lesson. Number two, it was God that made David king of Israel. God had promised it when David was still very young, sent Saul to anoint him, and now it's 10 years later, after all that running around in the wilderness chased by Saul, Saul ended up a failure in everything, but not David. David wasn't perfect. Um, I forgot if I said this when we were looking at Saul. He was beyond his pay grade. He was beyond his abilities. A golden example of what's called the Peter Principle. Anybody remember that? Lawrence Peter wrote a book years ago. See a few hands and heads. I have a copy of that book. It was written about business management and things like that. And he said... A man tends to be elevated to his level of incompetency. He's good at lower management. They make him a middle manager. He's beyond his pay grade. That's the Peter principle. And he said that happens over and over again. And the ones on the board should realize that and not over promote someone. We see this often in politics. A person becomes senator. He would have been a good mayor, but now he's a bad senator or a bad president. He's beyond his real ability. That's what happened with Saul. He was a sorry excuse for a king, but David was the right man. It fit. He was not over his pay grade. He disproved the Peter principle. Even though he had his weaknesses, he was still a man after God's own heart. And God had promised that he would be a king, and David trusted and waited. And in God's providence, he did become the king. God made him the king. Now, Deuteronomy 17, 15 to 20, God required a king to have certain qualities, such as he had to be a Jew, don't multiply horses or wives. Remember, Solomon did that. He had to read the law of God and obey it. Uh, You know, I was thinking uh, in my devotions today about young Josiah, eight years old, became king, very, very righteous, and he kept reading the law of God, and he read it publicly. Can you imagine any of our presidents doing that. 
on television, on the internet, social media, saying, you know, instead of just a press conference, saying, I'm just going to stand here and read some pertinent parts of the Word of God for us. Well, they'd probably cancel him and say, oh, to, to change that. But David did this. He was a righteous king that God had prepared. David's path to the throne, however, wasn't all straight. He went up mountains, down valleys. It took years. He was chased by Saul, and God was preparing him. Uh, just like Joseph, you remember? Down, 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 sold into slavery, and then up, 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 becomes second in command. And so God's ways of providence are like that. It goes like this and that, like the Mississippi River, and up and down mountains, but you just keep going in life. Because if you're on the right road, it's going to end in heaven. At time, David could have despaired that he'd ever make it as king. I imagine he was discouraged. Read some of the Psalms when he was on the run, but he kept trusting God. Here's the principle. God raises up one man to leadership and brings down another. He lifted up Saul. He took him down. And he lifted up David. Bad rulers like Saul or Abner and Joab are a judgment on a people when God turns them over to wicked rulers. On the other hand, good rulers like David are a blessing. And so we should pray that God would give us righteous rulers and we should pray for them. Another principle, David humbled himself and was exalted. Saul exalted himself and was humbled. Sound like something Jesus said several times. He that exalts himself will be humbled. He that humbles himself will be exalted. And God will exalt us if we are one of his children. Of course, when we become a Christian, we humble ourselves. Save me, Lord. And then he lifts us up and later will take us to heaven. The road to heaven is a long road up and down and going back and forth. And have you ever wondered, am I going to make it? Everything is against me. No, God's for you. God will exalt you and take you to heaven. But again, count on ups and downs like David went through. And just like that internal civil war within each one of us between sin and grace, that's like a cat and dog fighting within us, the Bible says that inner struggle. But one day sin will be defeated and vanquished and grace will rule forever and unto glory. So there were these power-hungry people like Abner and Joab and Ishbosheth, but God vindicated David and put him on the throne and kept him on the throne. We have enemies within us and around us, but God says, just, just hang in there. You're going to make it, and we will. Okay, third lesson. Again, David is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Symbolic things. You know, Old Testament prophecies that say there will be the son of David. Sometimes it's referring to Solomon. Sometimes that's the ultimate son of David. How does the New Testament begin? This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so you can see various types in David. And you see that especially in Matthew. For example, Matthew 22, uh, they were questioning Jesus with trick questions and then Jesus throws them a trick question. He says, now, uh, what do you do with David and the son of David? Who is, who is this? And they, they, these were the rabbis that said, oh, we know the word of God. And so he says, well, how can he be David's son and David's Lord? Answer me that. And they said, two minutes. They went into a huddle. You know, it does say about David's son being exalted. And David, and, and they remembered that psalm that says, you know, David said, 
unto the Lord, my Lord, how can this be? And so they said, well, we don't know. Well, what's the answer? Jesus was the son of David, but he was David's Lord because he was also God. So what Jesus was doing is saying, don't you realize that prophecy is saying David's greatest son, the Messiah, will actually be above David. And what's above a mere man? God. Romans 1, 3 mentions Jesus and says, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he was God-man, and in the flesh he was descended from David. Next, Deuteronomy 17 predicts, you know, there will be um, certain people that should be a king. Even though having a king was not the ideal, God would condescend to allow them to have a king. And some of the kings were very good. Have you ever thought about it? Book of Judges ends basically with anarchy. Every man did whatever was right in his own sight. A lot of people today, I think if you did a poll, most Americans would say, that's right. Everybody should have his own ethics, do whatever you want to. Every man does what's right in his own sight. But the verse says, there was no king in Israel, not even God. And so um, God would condescend to say, I will give you a king because even a bad king is worse than no king. When there's no king, there's anarchy and murder and everybody, it just... Uh, rampant. So God would say, I will give you a king. But here's the challenge. Which is better? Um, An unrighteous society where there's no king, there's no absolute ruler, or where you do have a king that has absolute power, but he's a godly one. Like David, like Hezekiah, like Josiah, and others, Solomon before he backslid. So the principle is, Would you rather have an unrighteous democracy or a righteous monarchy? The operative word is righteous. Better to have a righteous king than an unrighteous democracy, republic, anarchy, or whatever uh, form of democracy or government you choose. And so it says there, you know, God would condescend to allow a king and had to be a, a... a human, Jesus was a real human. He shared in our human flesh and blood. Bible even says he's like our brother. But unlike uh, Solomon, he did not break those two injunctions that God singled out. You shall not multiply wives and you will not multiply horses. Solomon did, but Jesus didn't. Um, he, he wasn't wealthy like Solomon, but he was wealthy in another respect. Book of Colossians says, all the riches of God are in Christ Jesus. And uh, Jesus was humble like David. In fact, he was the humblest man the world's ever seen. It says that a king has to follow the law of God perfectly, and Jesus did. Even David didn't follow it perfectly. But that's the standard of righteousness for all rulers. God says, by me, kings rule, and if they don't do it by God, then... They're not pleasing. It's a judgment when God gives us unrighteous rulers. Some of them resemble Joab, backstabbers. The history of the world is the history of power-hungry, ruthless men that just want power, ultimately to rule the world if possible, like Hitler and other ones. But uh, now Joab and Abner never thought they were going to conquer the whole world. They would just want to be kings. Just like so many people in politics always want one higher office, not quite like the Peter principle, they eventually realize this is as high as I'm going to go. There are other people that are going to go further than me. They'll become president, senator, vice president, whatever. But uh, 
Part of humility is realizing your weaknesses. Uh, I remember a line in an old, old movie where the uh, police inspector said, a man's just got to know his own limitations. Anybody know who said that? Dirty Harry. (laughs) Clint Eastwood. You got to know your own limitations. Well, David realized it and he was humble and God exalted him. But we need to know we're not cut out to be of a certain leader. You see, there are people that ignore the Peter principle. They want to advance and advance, and they get up there, and then they fail, and they realize, what went wrong? Uh, you shouldn't have taken that extra promotion. That was beyond your ability. But some people, they just want more and more power, no matter what it costs, like Abner and Joab, ruthless. But eventually, they will all fail, like Saul did, Ishbosheth, Abner, Joab, And what are we looking at on Sunday mornings? There will eventually be a man that will rule the whole world, Mr. Antichrist. What will happen with his empire? I'm sure at the height of it all, right before the second coming, he's going to realize I'm king of the world. Everybody's worshiping me. One world religion, one world government. I've got, of course, he was in cahoots with Satan. And it all came crumbling down on one day when Jesus came. So you see, he that laughs last laughs best. Satan is ruthless beyond all measure, but his empire will collapse, not from within, but by defeat from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. And on that great and glorious day, the world will openly acknowledge that Christ is king and Lord of lords over all the universe, but his enemies will be vanquished, just like it says David vanquished all of his enemies. There is unquestioned that he was now the king, When Jesus destroys all of his enemies and saves all of his people, rules for a thousand years, there'll be no challenge except one little skirmish at the end of the millennium and it's put down just like that. The Bible says Jesus will rule not only for a thousand years, but of his kingdom there will be no end. So those are some of the lessons we've learned about King David. Next week we'll look at another episode in his life. Let's pray. Father, help us to respect and imitate people like David and godly women as well that are godly, they're humble, they're not power hungry, they're not dictators of their children. Help us to be good examples for others as David is for us and help us most of all to follow Jesus, the greatest example in everything good and godly. In his name we pray, amen.